0: if we were able to have a more productive approach to uncertainty and and ambiguity, we actually might find that we could work things out,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we could find responses that make things better. But we want the easy answer. I believe that our fascination with the easy answer actually prolongs the chaos. Mm -hmm.
1: greetings this is leanne the host of rise leaders radio and the voice that you heard in the opening clip was of my guest jay gordon cone we recorded this episode back in october of 2020 which was definitely a time of chaos and uncertainty jay's book was a few months from release and as a master of metaphor and analogy He was talking about the book as a vaccine against mind traps and closed mindedness. And by the way, the book's name is The Surprising Power of Not Knowing What to Do, Discovering Creativity and Compassion in a Time of Chaos. Jay believes that if we can boost our immunity to chaos, we can respond with creativity and compassion rather than with paralysis and tribalism, which gets us even further stuck. So today we're talking about specifically bias, quicksand questions and four disciplines for getting unstuck. You spent a lot of time creating first the unstuck minds model and testing and refining the core ideas over time. And I actually participated in a pilot that you did several years ago and then co-presented with you maybe two years ago at a Conscious Capitalism conference. So, I know that you've been continuing to refine these ideas. And even with the background that I already had, I was not prepared for the preface and how the events of 2020 have clarified and amplified your perspective on thinking traps and the persistent problems that we will continue to face. It's not a new thing, but you you just really encapsulated it well there. So, I'd like to start there in the preface
0: sure.
1: with you linking the ideas of this book with the complexities and challenges that we're in today.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate you focusing on that because I have to give a lot of credit to my editor, who really opened up the entire topic for me. Um, It was not my intention when I started the book. You know, I started the book five years ago or more. It was really focused on the model that you referred to. And I remember when I sent it to this editor, he said, you know, this seems like a really important idea, but your book reads more like a research paper. And he challenged me to say, all of your work and examples are really focused on leaders and organizations, which makes sense because that's what I do. That's what we both do. But he said, what you're offering in terms of helping people deal with the chaos and complexity and uncertainty that we're facing couldn't be more timely. And I feel like you're missing a big opportunity to not apply these ideas To how we're struggling through the current moment with as much chaos and uncertainty as as we're all dealing with. Uh, And we're we're feeling it day in and day out. And I, I have to say, while I agreed with that feedback, it sort of took me back. It took me back because I didn't feel qualified to be commenting on that. And then he sort of reminded me of one of the big ideas in the book, which is expertise that's grounded in the past is not necessarily going to help you with times that are unpredictable and uncertain and chaotic. And he said, so I don't know that anybody is necessarily qualified to help us with it. But kind of to boil it all down, I think that the message I'm offering is one of helping us be better able to productively respond to moments when it feels like we're stuck. When it feels like we don't know what to do, and I'm trying to break our addiction to the question, what should I do, which in times of chaos is not really a useful question. In fact, I would argue it it gets us into more trouble than it helps.
1: Yeah, I feel that this is an unstuck mind or an open mind is a way of being that's very personal, and it doesn't show up just at work. And in fact, when I think about some of the conversations that I recently had, even in a, you know, a lift in Denver, yeah. just the personal conversations and how over in a period of maybe half an hour, it became really clear that the driver and I were on different sides of the political spectrum. And there was a definite wedge there, you know, wow. and the the thinking was it felt like concrete, it felt like cement. And so it's everywhere. Before you got
0: to that moment before you got to that moment with the driver, though, mm-hmm. where it became clear that you were on different sides of a, of a political spectrum. How did the conversation feel? And then how did it feel after that awareness?
1: Well, it was a really nice conversation. He was an older gentleman. He had a very interesting background. He had played professional football. He had been in the military. The smoke was, you know, obscuring the mountains. And so, we were talking about that. So, it was a really sweet conversation. And, well, actually, what happened is that he had some conspiracy theories that he shared about why there was smoke in front of the mountains in Colorado. Yeah. And it had to do with how fires were being started in California on the West Coast. And it was just, it was fascinating then how my view changed. And I felt myself closing up a little bit. I hadn't heard those conspiracy theories before. And so, I was a little on edge. Uh, I was just questioning. Yeah. All of a sudden, it wasn't a friendly conversation anymore. I was wary. It got me wary. Yeah. And yeah. I was I was confused. I didn't understand.
0: Right. This is what I want to help with. I think the book is an opening to a much more a kind of a conversation about how we can engage with one another and it doesn't feel as fraught because we know that we can get along just fine on most topics and then somehow or another the wall goes up.
1: Right, right. Well, and I love, there are a couple of terms that you use toward the beginning of the book and you talk about that this model and this way of thinking being um, a vaccine to protect us from becoming paralyzed by limited and misguided thinking and also a fitness routine for the way we think and feel. And the way that my mind works, when I can start thinking of it in ways like that, oh, so I could have a fitness routine, I could practice new ways of thinking and feeling and noticing, and it makes it less mysterious. And so I, I really appreciated the way that you set that up in the beginning.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It's I mean, obviously it's it's current that we have this idea of immune, the immune yes. system in things are, are, are on our mind. But really I do believe that, you know, the factory equipment doesn't really work well in times of chaos. they kind of the only um, <laughs> the, the only responses that we really have are, you know, kind of based in the limbic system and the amygdala and we 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 want to fight or we want to flee, but if we can develop our stamina for thinking when things are complicated or uncertain or ambiguous, then I think we're not as susceptible, sort of the same idea as an immune system, Mm -hmm. we're not as susceptible to kind of this virus of closed mindedness and tribalism that tends to paralyze us. And move us from having a perfectly great conversation with another human being to uh, one where we have to uh, worry that there's something threatening about the conversation.
1: Yes. And I'm finding myself wanting to go right into some content here, but I want to back up just a little bit because I want to ask you how is it that we know when we're stuck? So it's easy to say we, our minds get stuck and we're factory loaded or we come hardwired to think in a way that leads us to that. But I was mm-hmm. thinking over the weekend, how do we know when we're stuck? So what are, what are some of the signs of being stuck?
0: Okay, yeah. Well, there's um, fairly obvious ones, and then there's some more subtle ones, I think, and there, there's probably others. If you're clear that you have a goal that you want to achieve, And you've made progress towards that goal, but then for some reason, you don't achieve the goal. And maybe you ignore it or forget about it for a while, but that goal doesn't go away because there's something important to you about that aspirational or something that you're really wanting to do, you know, like maybe write a book, (laughs) um, for example. Uh, And you make attempts, but you don't quite get there. That's one very common experience of being stuck. You're really not clear on why it is that you can't achieve this goal. You make up all these reasons for why this attempt failed, but it's a pattern. Uh-huh. So if a pattern emerges, there's a good chance that there's something more to be uncovered Okay. about your stuckness. All right. And
1: I'm assuming, Jay, that we can get stuck individually and collectively. So, what you're saying, as a one person, we could experience that working on a team, like where we keep trying to move forward. And it's like, it feels to me sometimes like I'm moving through mud. And so, we can feel that way as an organization as well.
0: For sure. In fact, there are some classic kinds of organizational Dilemmas that, if you just think of the generic version of them, must many people would say, "Oh yeah, that's totally us." You know, like an organization can get stuck because the senior team goes off and does a strategy offsite, and then they come back, they present the strategy to everybody, and everybody says, "You know, that looks a lot like um, (laughs) a shined-up version of the strategy we've been pursuing for the last three years." You know, it, it doesn't feel different; it doesn't feel more focused. You know, that's that's a very common experience that mm-hmm. organizations have. But, you know, I work with organizations that say we get distracted by shiny objects mm-hmm. and we're walking down a path, but then we see an opportunity and we jump for it, but then we see another opportunity and we go for that. And we've been doing that for about five years, 10 years, right? So, that's a kind of stuckness too.
1: Right. Um, I, I hadn't thought about that before as the uh, attractiveness of distractions, or the blinky shiny things so when we find ourselves really attracted to that that might be a clue that we're stuck and we need to sit with the issue or the complex problem that we're facing and just sit with it a little bit rather than kind of ejecting from our seat to follow the blinky shiny thing
0: yeah because there's there must be some reason why the shiny object is attracted to now i mean of course in a world like ours today we have to be agile And we do have to look at opportunities. But if it's been a pattern for years and years and years of shifting your focus and getting distracted, then there's probably something below the surface that doesn't feel satisfying enough to pursue. So there's something you're not willing to say no to things because you're unclear on what you're saying yes to. Mm -hmm. That's a kind of stuckness.
1: Okay, All right. So, we're just talking here about not making progress is one sign that we're stuck. And we might even look at the blinky, shiny things that we're attracted to. So, if we find ourselves attracted to that, one of the things that I thought about this weekend is that when I start feeling overwhelmed, really physically stuck, like sometimes I'll notice that I'm not breathing, you know, I'm holding my breath or as I'm working on something, I have a lot of tension in my neck and shoulders and head, or I get a headache. So that feeling of just of overwhelm is a, is a sign for me that I'm stuck.
0: And this is something I've always appreciated about you, Leanne, and I, I wish I could make it a, a habit of mine is you're really good at paying attention to what things feel like in your body, you know, as an indicator of things. Sure. Uh, and I think that's really, I think that's really important. I would say on the emotional side, what a lot of people are experiencing these days a kind of a cognitive dissonance between their values and their behavior. And so, what I mean, as a, as an example, what I mean by that is, maybe we, we have a certain kind of values set around human dignity and and how people should be treated and how we should think about people. And just like the example you were giving with the taxi, to the lift driver, we sometimes find ourselves emotionally tangled up. In our reactions to a situation. And when we reflect on that, we think, why that's not me. I'm not proud of that. I don't know why I feel angry or frustrated just because somebody said something, or just because somebody expressed a point of view, or you know, I looked at a yard sign and I and I all of a sudden had horrible judgments about the people living. If that's a feeling that you're having and it's one that You're not particularly proud of, or that doesn't make sense to you, that might be a leading indicator that there's some stuckness as well.
1: Awesome. So there's both thinking and feeling indicators to pay attention to.
0: Um,
1: I want to go back to what you were saying closer to the beginning of the call when you were talking about we come, you know, factory loaded or hardwired to think a certain way that leads us in a path of what we'll talk about later as quicksand questions or quicksand thinking. Yeah. And I know that there is just so much so much expertise out there around what the mind is doing and the different biases that we have and traps that we have. Can you summarize kind of at a high level what's going on and what causes us to get in the thinking traps or get stuck in the first place?
0: Sure. It is a, it is a big... It's, it is it a
1: feels big like topic. an unfair question. No, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You've got a third of your book dedicated to this. And I'm saying, <laughs> can you boil it down to a paragraph or so?
0: Yeah, it's a third of my book, but it, there are shelves of, of uh, PhD dissertations on the topic as well. So, I love Mesur and Banaji's who wrote Blind Spots, a Harvard researcher who was one of the team that put the implicit association test together, you can find online. And, and she uses the term mind bugs, which I think is so great. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like the bugs in a computer program, you don't really notice or pay attention to until something goes wrong. And then you have to sort of figure out where's the flaw. And to call it a mind bug also sort of pulls the judgment out of it too a little bit. Right? It it's does. Just, I like uh, that. It's just a kind of a way we go a little haywire on things. But if I had to sum it up, I would say that when we come in situations, we, we don't act like vacuum cleaners, you know, that just suck up all the available information <laughs> um, that's in our path. We're, we're more like metal detectors that are pre-programmed. We're alerted by things uh-huh. that get our attention, but we completely ignore other things. We used to have guys out on the beach in California, you know, with the metal detectors looking for, I don't know, coins or something. And, you know, when you sweep a metal detector over sand, there's all kinds of things that are probably buried that the metal detector pays no attention to, only the thing that it's meant to pay attention to. Right. So we're like that. We're meant to pay attention to certain things, which therefore means there are things that don't get our attention. So right away, we're limited. And then when you combine that with some of the emotional impact being overwhelmed or exhausted, you know, there's a term cognitive load, we, we try mm-hmm. to reduce our cognitive load. So our attention is limited, we're overwhelmed. And when we're overwhelmed, we have a tendency to want to reach closure because closure feels satisfying, and it, it reduces cognitive load. And it relaxes us like we don't have to keep looking for stuff to figure things out.
1: Yeah, so, I'm thinking back to what you were saying about stamina. It's, it's like, if we don't have the stamina, have the stamina to stay with, with it, yeah, then we want the closure. That. And when you said that, my body just did an exhale. It's like, oh, I can stop thinking about that. I can just come to a judgment. I can I can make my mind up right. and check it off the list, exhale and relax and go on to the next thing or argue about whatever point I just decided
0: on. (laughs) Whatever point you just decided on, exactly. And if you're in a world that is so chaotic, that's going to increase the need for closure, which is going to make us susceptible to simplistic answers instead of nuanced answers. Mm -hmm. And when you start focusing on simplistic answers, then you tend to hang out with people who have gravitated towards those same simplistic responses. And it it sort of gets to the point where it's just too difficult to be open to new information, different perspectives, or to continue processing things when it just feels easier to be with people who get you and have the same conclusions you have.
1: Right, um, and from a safety perspective, I might say think too that um, I'm—I don't want to get kicked out of my tribe. You exactly. know, this also feels really safe to be with these people who think just like me. And even if I might have another bug that's coming in to make me immune to that, I might push it out because that might disrupt this love fest that I'm having with my tribe. The commiserating that we're doing about the world.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. That version of stuckness is the one I'm particularly interested in, because it's impacting our ability to collaborate mm-hmm. on the really tough problems. And that's where I feel that there is something important about building up that stamina that allows people to engage with people who maybe see the world a little differently or have information that you haven't been looking at or maybe asking you to continue processing things in a more nuanced way rather than settle for an easy answer.
1: Hmm. I just had this this vision of like going into a different gym. So maybe, (laughs) you know, we're talking about fitness routines. It's like I'm used to exercising one way. But if I want to balance out, if I want to cross train, yeah, then I might want to go and speak with people who have a different opinion and kind of build up those those muscles that are a little either fatigued or just underdeveloped. And whether it's, you know, agreeing with the other side, just the ability to see the other side feels like a muscle to build.
0: Yeah, I do think so. I think it's important. And I don't think it's going to be easy. And there's some discipline involved.
1: Mm -hmm. So there were some questions that you listed and you called them quicksand questions. And again, your metaphors are so powerful. I hadn't heard the vacuum cleaner versus metal detector. I love that because I can just imagine, you know, me sweeping to just look for things that I think are important. But this set of quicksand questions are questions that will get us deeper and eventually bury us. And these are questions that we ask when we're stuck that don't get us unstuck. Exactly. And what are those types of quicksand questions? Because I think this is what we're used to asking.
0: For sure. So, one of the ways that I got into this whole topic was through paying very close attention to the way people frame questions. And this was the research that I did in school and then turned into this model that I've been playing around with. Huh. And I think in, in in trying to get practical, because I as much as I enjoy talking about this subject in a philosophical way, leaders and organizations are looking for, okay, well, what do I do with that? And how do I make a difference? And how can I get better? Like you said, you want to help me with my stamina? What do I need to do to What's mm-hmm. the exercise, right? So, one of the things that you can look at is the way people pose questions, because the way people frame a question about a situation they want to change reveals a lot about how they're thinking and feeling. Mm. And over time, I've noticed that especially in organizations and especially leaders who have a very strong orientation towards solution and answers and action, for good reason. They're paid to get stuff done. They tend to frame their questions in these categories that I refer to as quicksand questions because if you just stay with the framing given by the leader, you're going to get stuck. And answering the question actually makes things worse. Huh. Changing the question is what makes things better. So, you had asked about these categories. One category is quicksand questions where the answer or the conclusion is baked into the question. You know, like, how are we going to improve communication between the support functions and the line leaders? It seems like a reasonable question on the surface of it, one that would be very familiar to people in organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you think about it, how do we improve communication is really just saying the problem is a lack of communication. And what I'm looking for is help in getting people to communicate better and differently. Uh huh. Often not actually the problem, but and- could lead to all kinds of wasted resources. I can just imagine ahead of, of learning and development starting a series of communication training courses only to discover that communication has not improved between the line leaders and their support functions.
1: Right. And I think too as as leaders are being asked to ask more questions instead of just advocate and present solutions that yeah. um, if we're not very practiced in asking good questions, any question at all is an improvement. How can we improve yeah. communication? Yeah. Even if it insinuates the communication is the problem, we get put a feather on our cap because we asked a question. We asked, yeah, we
0: asked a question. Yeah.
1: Which is, it's headed in the right direction,
0: yeah, but I, I, like yeah, you said, yeah, it yeah.
1: still closes things off.
0: It yeah. Does. It yeah. does. The, um, the second category are questions of the form, how do we get them to change. (laughs) This is the favorite question of a lot of of leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, The question presumes that there are people out there whose behavior is in my way. And in order for me to achieve my goal or to change my situation and to improve things, those people need to behave differently. So the question becomes, how do we get them to do that? Yep. How do we get customers to read our blog posts? How do we get people to take more accountability? How do we get the sales team to update their pipeline, right? All these things that we want other people to do, we just frame a question around them and then we work towards altering the behavior mm-hmm. rather than trying to understand, first of all, whether we as, a, as leaders or organization are complicit and whether there's something other than them and their behavior that needs to change.
1: Yes, excellent. I love that. Next quicksand yeah,
0: question. So, yeah, the next the next category of quicksand questions are the either or questions, the questions that that create a false dichotomy. A leader might say, "Should we hire from within or should we find somebody outside the organization? Should we promote from within or hire from outside? We have these two things. Should we focus on quality or should we focus on cost? You mm-hmm. know, these false dichotomies or tensions or um, polarities that we feel like. We have to make a choice between one side or the other, which is rarely the case uh, in organizations. Those kinds of options are almost never mutually exclusive. It just feels easier to have a choice between A and B than to really think carefully about C, D, E, and F.
1: Yeah, and I can just feel, again, it narrows my vision if I'm just focusing on the So, I'm going to miss a lot. If I'm just focusing on those two options.
0: For sure. And then the the final category of quicksand question are questions that have the wrong scope. They're either too big or too small, right? Like, how do we increase trust around here? Mm. Way, way too big. You don't know where to start. A question like, how do we get an increase of two points on the engagement survey on those questions about trust? Too small, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're... You're looking at this survey that you're, you're trying to improve the score, so you're not really focused on what might be causing that in the system. So, your attention is going to be on the symptom rather than the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so, those are kind of four common kinds of quicksand questions. And I, I think it's worth reminding people that you don't have to go through all this work if you're not stuck. I can imagine some people being frightened by this idea that we have to overthink everything. And just because I like to overthink everything, I'm not advising anyone. (laughs) Don't do that. But if you're stuck, or if you suspect that you might be stuck, it's good to have a few extra tools or methodologies that you can go to. Because if you don't, you're going to stay in the quicksand.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Jay, I just want to bring up, because of what you're saying right now, that on the one hand, we don't have to apply this to every question that we've got. On the other hand, there are a lot of things that I think will keep me up at night or have kept me up at night that were examples of, of being stuck. I love your first uh, story in the book about the clutter in the bathroom, yeah. and you know, one question is, how do I get my daughter to clean up her mess? That yeah. wasn't really the right question. And yeah. as we all we have parents who are aging or other things just going on in life, and we're asking, what should I do or what can I do? The options aren't easy. To think about, that might be another area where we want to just watch where our mind starts getting stuck. And it seems like the more emotional the content is, the topic is, I don't know if it's more likely that we get stuck because of the high emotions. I don't know. What do you think
0: about that? I suspect you're right. I mean, if you buy the theory that one of the root causes of being stuck is that we try to reduce our cognitive load, we try to simplify situations in order to feel like we have some control over them, Mm -hmm. and some ability, then anything which feels unpredictable, or challenging, or emotional, is probably going to be seen as threatening, or exhausting
1: exhausting right and that's where if you're already overwhelmed something that seems exhausting doesn't yeah. help yeah.
0: yeah i do think those kind of personal emotional heart-wrenching mm-hmm. kind of, of dilemmas are going we're, we're at risk of limiting our ability to think about them
1: for sure. For sure. So, let's get out of the quicksand.
0: Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm tired of being, I'm tired of just talking about it. I'm not even yeah. in the quicksand <laughs> right now. It's just hard already, to think about.
0: <laughs>
1: <it>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, there you have, you have a way out.
0: Well, I want to say that, that a way out is different than an answer. Hmm. Okay. Right. So I just want to just be very clear that the title of the book is the surprising <laughs> power of not knowing what to do.
1: Oh, there I go again. I need I need to get back in the
0: gym with my yeah. fitness routine. I mean, it's a it's a little bit of a contradiction in terms, right? Because I'm I'm writing a how-to book about what not about about <laughs> yeah. not knowing what to do and. and celebrating, like, yeah, you don't know what to do. That's fantastic. That's great. That's the first step. Yeah, don't know what to do. That's Mm -hmm. good. So the prescription here is to try and maybe take a beat, notice that you are feeling overwhelmed and frustrated, that you're wanting an answer desperately. I mean, we've all had the experience of an insight coming to us unexpectedly. Maybe we take a shower, go for exercise. We take our mind off. Of, so we've been struggling with something, or maybe we go to yes. sleep and we wake up and all of a sudden answer seems obvious. It's not because you've been working the question. It's actually because you stopped working mm-hmm. the question. Yeah, that you stepped out of it. That was allowed to happen. So in a similar way, the suggestion here is that there are these four kinds of disciplines that help you unplug yourself from the grinding that you might be doing to deal with a difficult situation. The counterintuitive thing is that instead of trying to narrow and reduce and categorize and focus, the four disciplines actually expand. Mm, uh, Give you more space they give you more space, they ask you to consider more things, they ask you to take in more perspectives, and they ask you to challenge some of your assumptions, all which is not easy work. It's not easy work to do until you can build a new habit, which is why I refer to them as disciplines, because Mm -hmm. it is a bit of a fitness routine that's required. If there were easy answers, you wouldn't need to do this. Yes, thank you. Um, (laughs) I actually have a point of view that our inability to deal with chaos is actually exacerbating the chaos. That if we were able to have a more productive approach to uncertainty and and ambiguity, we actually might find that we could work things out. Mm -hmm. Um, We could find responses that make things better. But we want the easy answer. I believe that our fascination with the easy answer actually prolongs the the chaos.
1: Yeah. So, Jake, you have the four disciplines, and I'd love for you to just list those out. And then in your book, you actually give a an example, you pose a question, and then you ask the reader to pause and say, you know, kind of what questions did your mind automatically start asking? Or what did you start wondering about? Yeah. And that starts pointing people in the direction, I think, of what we might be predisposed already from a positive perspective, you know, which of these four disciplines we might naturally gravitate towards. So, would you go through each of those and then give the example?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. The, the four disciplines in, in no particular order are explore the context. So, that's the discipline of zooming out, And looking at things that are outside of our control, but out into the environment, trends that are happening, or things that may not seem to be directly related to our situation. But by looking out at them, we might notice that um, there are opportunities Mm -hmm. or things that we might otherwise be missing. The next one is to actually do the opposite of that, is to zoom in. So exploring the context is the first discipline. Analyzing structures is the second so okay. that's about getting below the surface and looking at causes and effects and systems and, and those kinds of things. The third one is uh, empathizing with needs. This is the discipline of considering previously excluded perspectives. Who haven't we been paying attention to? Whose mm-hmm. needs aren't we meeting? Or are there people whose needs we might meet in the future that we're not even considering? Or are there people even inside our organization who have been excluded for whatever reason, but may have perspectives that we need. And then the final discipline is challenging assumptions. This is the discipline of thinking about how you're thinking. Okay. Uh, it's looking at what might be holding things mm-hmm. in place, simply because we've never questioned whether they're appropriate or useful or continue to serve. Mm-hmm. So, so it was
1: interesting when we spoke about this last week, you were saying I, I asked you about stakeholders yes. and where how do stakeholders play into this? And I really saw it in number three, right. but I also saw it in the first one. So context looking at all the stakeholders, but particularly in in the third, empathize with needs. Yeah. And so those are both kind of zooming out yeah. and increasing our perspective. And interestingly enough, the other two bring our view in. And we need to look at the structure and stability. So, you said one is more about change and opening up. And then two of them are actually about looking at structure and stability, which are the structures and the assumptions, which basically I think of assumptions as structures in the mind that are channeling thoughts to go down a particular pathway because our assumptions are channeling the energy that way.
0: Yeah. Thank you for Bringing that up, I think that's a really important idea that if you think about the four disciplines, two of them are all about what's changing that might actually be important for us to pay attention to. Like that's context and that's needs. So context is always changing and people's needs are always changing. Two of them are about what's holding us in place, the structures and the mindsets right? So analyzing structures, challenging assumptions. So it's a bit like the, a force field analysis, like a current and force field analysis. These things are driving us to do something different. These things are holding us back. And it's the tension actually between those two, where we might actually get unstuck. It's not to say that interesting, to, it's not to say that the structures and the assumptions are all bad, and we should let them all go. But we might not be noticing which of them are still serving us and which of them are no longer serving us. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Especially if we look at the things that are changing and decide, oh, that's worth paying attention to, or those are people whose needs we should be meeting. So, what might we need to change in order to realize that opportunity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, the, that, yeah. That, that tension is a, is a good one to point out.
1: Yeah, good. So, the example that you gave, set that up for us.
0: Okay. So this example comes from, uh, there's actually an assessment that's been developed where people can identify in these four disciplines, which one do they have a predisposition to? And when I'm debriefing the assessment with people, I'll often use this example. I'll say, pretend that you have just been hired as the newest member of the writing instrument division of a consumer packaged goods office supply company manufacturer. You work in the writing instruments division, and on your first day you go into a big town hall meeting and the senior vice president of the writing instruments division gets up in front of everybody and says, sell more pens, (laughs) and then sits down. So when you hear that, what I want you to then think about is, what's the first question that comes to your mind or what is it that you most want to know when the new big boss says, sell more pens. And I use that exercise as a way of illustrating the distinctions among these four disciplines and how some people are predisposed to some over the other. As an example, if when you heard sell more pens, if your first reaction was, well, what's our strategy? What's our goal? How does the writing instruments division fit within the larger company? And how does selling more pens help us achieve that goal? Like, give me more information about what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. That's a contextual question. (laughs) Yeah, give me more context. context. Yeah. Yeah, give me more context. Some people, when they hear sell more pens, immediately want to start looking at spreadsheets. Well, what are the sales trends been? Tell me about how they're manufactured. Tell me about how they compare to other pens and what the history has been of that of the, and the sales trends, right? That's an analyze of the structures sort of approach to this challenge. If your first question was, who uses these pens? Mm-hmm. Who cares about them? What are their needs? What are their needs for pens? How are they changed the way they use pens over the last few years? And what's the future hold for how they'll use those pens? That's a kind of a needs-based orientation. Mm-hmm. And if your first question was, why pens? <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, or why sell more pens? Why don't we sell fewer pens with a higher profit margin? Like that inclination is a challenge assumption inclination. And of course, they're all useful ways of thinking, but it does help illustrate where you might go first or be more comfortable, which also might indicate things you might not include when you try to work it out. Right. So that's why having All four of these disciplines available gives you a more robust approach to these complex challenges.
1: Yes, and I want to mention that we'll include in the show notes a link to this profile assessment because um, you're offering it for free, right? People can take the assessment and see where you show up and then… I also was playing around on the website this morning and saw that there's quite a bit of information there. So people should be able to get that self assessment and then know where they may gravitate. And then as a result, where they might need to do a little bit more work, a little more mental lifting. Toward, like for me, it would probably be more context because I tend to deal more in structure. That's, I'm really comfortable with structure. So the context might be a place where I would want to go. So you do this work with both leadership teams and strategy. You've done a good deal of strategy work. And you also do this with individuals. And I think the way that I remember you describing it is that when you're working with teams and strategy, that you will typically go through all four of those contexts, that it's important to see all of them. But with an individual in a a narrower scope, that you might be able to, like, if the person is already really good on the structure and stability, that you might want to spend a little bit more time on the change in perspective taking and all of that. And so it's, again, there's two answers to the question, do we need to do all four? Well, it depends.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People, people get pretty annoyed with me when I don't answer direct questions, but you don't need to go through all four in order to get some benefit from the disciplines, for sure. But if you are working on strategy, you're thinking about holistically an organization and you're trying to set direction, probably wouldn't hurt Mm -hmm. wouldn't hurt an individual either but i try to listen for how somebody's thinking which is why paying attention to questions is such a useful technique people really will reveal their thinking through their questions if you can just kind of notice the way they choose to ask the question and that will give me a clue as to how best to coach them so yeah we can use and kind of approach to a coaching intervention by simply maybe focusing on, you know, a lot of coaching, I know you do a lot of coaching, a lot of coaching probably never leaves the empathize with needs, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that a lot of organizational leaders really struggle with is understanding the complex nature of a variety of individuals who have very different kinds of needs. And those needs are maybe very different than the leaders needs. And so the leader tends to want to communicate a particular way or move at a particular pace or focus on a particular thing. But they have to bring a whole group of people along who may not share that same perspective or have the same needs. And so oftentimes just going there is enough.
1: I was just uh, attending a webinar this morning on culture and values in culture and the presenter or the consultant, the author was actually talking about kind of the seven levels of organization development and exactly what you're pointing to around the ability of empathizing. He considered it an emotional intelligence capability and that it's more of a maybe a second tier, but like on a uh, on one to seven, maybe it was number five or six. And that early in an organization's age, the concerns are more safety and survival and performance and expertise and all of that. But as the organization matures and wants to become more holistic, and a place where people love to work, that emotional intelligence and that empathy Become more and more important. And it's a really subtle skill. It's not, you know, you don't typically go to school for right. empathy.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Jay, thank you so much. I'm really excited for the book to come out. And I will let people know through all of my channels when the book is actually available. I think that today, you know, going through, you know, how we get stuck, what it's like, what are the quicksand questions and what are the four disciplines is a really great place to start. And I would recommend that people, you know, write down some of these questions and just have it be a journaling practice. You know, I think that anytime that you're feeling stuck in any dimension, just pick out one of these four disciplines and brainstorm.
0: I think it's a. I think it's a great suggestion. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to you about it, and uh, I'm happy to continue the conversation with anybody that wants to get in touch with us through the website about anything that we've covered. And uh, what
1: is the website? Go ahead and, uh, and and I'm going to list the website URL in the show notes as well as the other social channels. But go ahead and let us know yes, what, what is I'm, what I'm it, it is.
0: Unstuckminds.com. Okay. Unstuckminds.com. That's where you'll find the profile. It's where you'll see a blog and uh, you'll be able to subscribe or get in touch with us. And I want to say
1: this as well. Your blogs are fantastic. I love the way that you write. You're both, not just both, but all humorous, informational, self-deprecating, I've not read a blog that I didn't walk away with just a deep appreciation and also learning something new. So, I really appreciate that. And the book is full of it.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. People say that about me too. But um, uh, I've been so happy to share with you these ideas and You are sort of one of the very few people who has seen the evolution of this from the very beginning. So I I can't tell you how grateful I am that you're sticking with it and you're checking in and that we have this ability to continue talking about
1: it. Well, it's my pleasure and we'll have everything in the show notes and and I'll let people know when the book is out as well. And just um, good luck on everything.
0: Thanks, man. It's great talking to you.
1: You too. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening. And remember, elevate your part of the world.